Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is a More Than Just Podcast production. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 360 of the Morning Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell, I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm really pleased to be joined by Daniel Steinberg in Cleveland, Ohio. Hi Tim, good to see you again. Good to see you again. So I, I, we've met each other, I think we met each other personally once, I think when uh, mm-hmm. we were, I think we were both performing it with James Dempsey. Um, I call myself a conditional breakpoint because I'm not always, you know, whenever he's around and I'm at a conference, I, I generally will pull out a ukulele and play with him. But I've, I've noticed that you, uh, on the, I think the, um, one of the videos that we did online during COVID, I think you, you were playing the keyboard. Yeah. And that was a big moment for me. Once I was no longer a conditional breakpoint, uh, James has been kind enough to let me do slide advance for him. And so it's the slide advance keyboard. And, right. you know, I, I limber up and I, I make sure I'm, I'm in tune and my daughter makes fun of me for doing it, but it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So I think, I think at that, uh, I think it uh, was at the, um, yeah, it must've been at the performance. I guess you were doing, you were running the slide deck at, in, uh, at, uh, when we were in San Jose in 2019, I take it, right? Was that and what... in that setup, I, I was far away from the stage because that's just where it, it had to be. And so it was, I had the best seat in the house. I got to see everybody on stage performing. Right. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's lots of fun. So how long, how long have you been working with James and, and the breakpoints? James joined a traveling conference I was a part of called um, CocoConf. Mm-hmm. And so we would do three or four shows in the spring, three or four in the um, fall. And James started performing there and he started doing it after I did the keynote. So it just made sense for me to stay on stage and, and run the slides for him. And so we started then and, and he's just the best guy in the world. He's a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah, he's lots of fun. Um, so going back to CocoConf, I, I, you know, I know of it, but I've never actually attended. But so when you say it was a rotating, like you traveled around North America kind of idea, is that how it happened or? Yeah, I, James always thought of it as like vaudeville where we take the show on the road. And, and so instead of having a single location and a lot of people coming to us, we would do one in Chicago, we would do one in Boston, and, and, and so on. And so it was very local, and so it was the combination of the people who would travel with the show, and then usually local speakers. Okay, cool, yeah. Now, I know a number of people who have obviously attended, and, and I knew of the conference. I mean, so my story is, you know, um, I came into iOS development late in life, um, but I didn't really realize it at the time. I think you and I both can say that you're as old as you feel in your in your head, right? But, um, so I, you know, I was given the task of, of putting my, my friend's app onto an iPad. And, uh, so I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? And so I, I found a couple of conferences in Seattle and I just jumped on a plane and went and started learning about manual memory management and all that kind of crazy stuff early, early days. And actually I, I should tell you, I don't know if you, if you noticed this or not, but, um, the, one of the first electronic books that I bought you know, and, I, and I've been in print and publishing for a long time, but one of the first ebooks I actually bought was your book on 
iPad development. Did you know that? No, oh, thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice. I wrote that with Eric Freeman. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think it was uh I, I'm pretty sure it wasn't finished at the time. Like you had like there really wasn't much in twenty ten about developing specifically for the iPad, right? Yeah, and, and when the iPad dropped, a lot of us were trying to figure out what's different about it, what's special about it. Right. And so it's it's been fun to watch its evolution. Yeah, I mean for me the the the, the first thing I noticed was the split view controller that they used in the settings, which and so forever we were trying to figure out how did they do that and because they didn't make that available to us till I don't know maybe three or four versions of iOS later um, uh, in a storyboard, right? But and they gave us things that we'd wanted for a long time, like gestures. You know, we didn't have swipes before the iPad, and they were really handy in the iPhone too. You know, before that, I don't know if you remember, you'd have to do the the arithmetic to figure out well they're swiping, but how far and, and did they go up or down? Is it really so? It was nice that they gave us those gestures and. It would be really nice if they give them to us again in Swift UI. We don't have that one. Oh, we don't yet. Oh, interesting. No. Um, so, so how about how far back do you go with iOS? Like, were you were you on the iPhone development path from the get go, or what was your? So, um, I got a gift every once in a while. Someone at Apple gives you a gift without you knowing it, and I'd been a Java on the Mac guy. And two engineers from Apple took me out for lunch one day, and they said. If you want to stay on this platform, you've got to learn Objective-C. Right. And so I did. And a year later, the the iPhone shipped, but we still couldn't code for it. The first version of the iPhone, you were supposed to write web apps for it. And so Bill Dudney and I put together a course for the uh, Pragmatic Studio, and it was sort of a wink. You know, we, we can't tell you how to develop for the iPhone yet, but soon. And in those days, they let the iPhone, they gave us APIs for it. But it was still under NDA. You weren't allowed to talk about them in public. Right. So okay. we first taught a Mac class, and then the NDA dropped, and we taught an iPhone class. So we were there from the beginning. It was it was a lot of fun. I think I had the first book on. Uh, I forgot who wrote the book. The you know the the one where you jailbreak your phone and that was by Erica Sadoon. Her her first book was all about if you, you can do this, but then you can't put it on the store. Oh right, right, yeah, and that that's true, yeah. Because I remember I, I had a book on. Dash code, I think it was called back in the day. Like you write these little, mm -hmm. the whole idea of building widgets, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have a friend that who works still works for Apple, and and he showed us how to make a web browser at one point. One 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 of the conferences I went to early in the days, which was lots of fun, but using Apple Script, right? So which was kind of fun, like because you could do you could run I think you could run Apple Script on, on the original devices back in the day, right? But so I had the SDK, and, 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 and Sal first... Segoyan ran the world, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I forget about Sal too. Yeah, no, he's. I've seen him do a couple of interesting. He's a he's a real character. Um, I heard him. I saw him do some talks and, and tell some of his Steve stories, which are hilarious, right? So cool. Um, and so so Objective C for you, like you came for like I think I heard you say on another podcast recently that I just was doing some some homework, obviously before this show, but. Um, you were doing Java development and then an Objective C. So how how difficult was it for you to transition from say Java to Objective C, Lord? Or have you been around computer languages long enough that it didn't really make too much of a learning curve? Well, I'm actually self-taught in computers. I, I, I'm a mathematician by training, right? But Java and Objective C were so similar. In fact, a lot of Java derived from Objective C. So once you sort of got that into your head, and then you got into your head header files, which was mainly the difference between Java and Objective-C. Everything was still reference types and pointers, and a lot of that was the same. Uh, it, it was very natural to do. And, and the syntax, which people complained about, I always loved. I, I thought the square brackets were fine, and I loved the, the colon so that you had these long method names, but you knew exactly what each thing was doing in it. Right, yeah. Yeah, not it wrapped nicely when you when you when you put breaks in there, but uh, yeah, I think I think you're the one that taught me to say implementation because I was teaching <laughs> I was teaching well, iOS back in the early days and and you know trying to explain to people the difference between the header and the implementation file, right? <laughs> and along our time with with Objective C, uh, it, it got even nicer because the header files got lighter and lighter as you move things into the mm -hmm. into the implementation file, and you sort of have this private header in this public header and, and that made it even nicer yeah there was a lot of a lot of weird things that happened and i think yeah i think by the time we all got there it was is it was already objective c 2.0 right i think by the time by the time iPhone, iphone ship sure yeah yeah yeah. so yeah no, but there was a lot of interesting things because I, I do remember um like for me like i was like a deer in the headlights back in 2010 trying to learn objective c not understanding 
really what I was doing. Because uh, I remember it was very, very confusing back in, in uh, was it Xcode 3, where you had Interface Builder was a separate app, right? And it wasn't, wasn't there like a phone app or something like that? Or It was, it was for a long time, it was a separate app. Um, I think it was originally Project Builder. Project Builder, so that's project, what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Project Builder and, and Interface Builder. And yeah. if you went back even farther, you created your header files in the old days in Interface Builder. You didn't even create them in code. And right. so... So you touched on you touched on the the was it the pri- um, the access I guess it's while or um, I'm trying to drawing a blank on the, the you know accessing um, private versus public things and and like you said it was pretty straightforward if it was in the header it was public it was private if it was in the implementation file but uh, you were I think you were recently talking in 2019 I think you were must have been in Paris you were talking about how that's something that we're missing in Swift UI or Swift in general um, coming back to having headers I, I know this is going to upset people but that is one of the two things that I love Swift. I, I'm so glad we have Swift, and my code is so much cleaner in Swift. But I do miss header files because I do miss a way of saying, here's the part of my API that I want you to be able to use, and I don't want you to see any of the implementation. I just want you to see, here are the methods you can call, here's how you can call them. And so I do miss header files for that. And and the other thing I said, it, it's the other thing I miss is the asterisk, because I like to see clearly what's a reference type, what's a value type. Right. Yeah. You see, I think you called it an explicit pointer if you use the the, um, the asterisk symbol there. Um, so uh, I'm going to be very naive. Is that is that very similar to what we're doing now in private protocols, where you declare what you ha- you know you're creating the contract between what you want in the protocol or what you need to implement in the protocol? Is that very a similar kind of concept to using headers back in the day? You think? I, I don't think so because I I don't want to create a protocol for every single thing that I do, and so. Some things don't need a protocol. I know that we get very into using protocols, but we don't need them for everything. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yeah, well, we, should, we probably should talk about your new book. I've been going through the book. I'm about, to, I'm into section two right now, the, the new book on async, right? Async, uh, what's it called? The, yeah, the, the Curious Case of the Async Cafe. So how, so how did that book come about, and, and what, are you, what are you hoping to, to pass on as information to people with that? So I hope a bunch of things every time I write a book. Um, First of all, I hope someone else will write the book I need so I don't have to write this book. (laughs) But absent that, I often write books so that I can get my head around a concept. And so something I did in this book that's a little odd is I have these running characters throughout. And they're not just there as dressing. I've seen somewhere there's fictional characters that have nothing to do with the book. But I thought asynchronous coding is really hard. And it's hard to understand when you need it and why you need it. So I wanted a metaphor that said, here's some real-life examples. Imagine there's two of us ordering coffee, and I order my coffee, and the waiter goes away and doesn't even take your order till they come back with mine. And and that's the synchronous we're, we're used to and what changes in. And so using those sort of examples, each each section is motivated by an example like that. And I'm sure there'll be people that skip that, but that was sort of the thing I needed so that it wasn't just code. Apple's done amazing things with the, with the async APIs, and, and I'm really happy with them. And it took me a while to get my head around them, but now that I'm beginning to, it's, it's nice to be able to share that. 
And how do you, how do you think it's different than? Are you familiar with how they've done async in other languages compared to how it's done in Swift? Or because it's not a new concept. So right? it's not a new concept, and you know we've seen this done in our own worlds. We saw that the attempts at combine, and I really loved combine, and I was sorry to see that go so quickly. And is it is it gone? Is it for all intents and purposes? I think gone? the indication that it's gone is if you read the proposal by uh, Philippe of uh, what they're replacing observable objects with. So observable objects and at published, they have a way of replacing those with this observable thing, and you can listen using key paths to various things, including computed properties, including computed properties that depend on private stored properties. So it looks like they're going to a lot of effort. That's that's the place that combined still lives in our, is the at published and observable objects. And so if they're going to the trouble of ripping that out and giving us alternatives, it's going away. And and it's too bad, but it's the message is clear. I took one of your classes actually in 2016 at NS North in Toronto. Um and and you gave me the impression that you, you kind of sort of like like our friend Wayne Gretzky, you know where the puck is going kind of thing. Cuz I I I, I found it interesting that you have these insights in terms of where you think Apple is going with the things that they're doing. And and I don't know if that's from do you get that from reading the like the Swift documentation and stuff like that, or or do you have a secret line to Tim Cook in the back there so that we don't know about? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing secret. It's just some like I never hated Objective C. I loved Objective C, but it just felt like it was time for a new language. And so Jeff Biggis and I talked about it, and we talked about well, what do we think the language is going to be like? And we thought it was going to be kind of closure like. And so we spent some time learning Clojure. And so when Apple introduced Swift, we thought, man, that was a good good, good guess. And so there have been those moments, I, I guess, right about Java. And it's just been lucky. The iPhone, it wasn't guessing right about the iPhone. It was being prepared when someone said, you need to move into Objective-C. And so I think it's it's also being receptive when people tell you things and you think that makes sense. I'll tell you one that I haven't moved on, and I, I'm beginning to wonder if maybe I'm missing the boat on is machine learning. Right. And especially with my math background, you would think I would have gone to machine learning years ago, and I haven't, and I'm not sure why not. Is that just because you never really saw an, a need, or? I think it's because in order for me to do things in machine learning, the thing you need is is a nice big data set that's been cleaned, and that's a hard thing that that I can't do as an independent. And so if I'm working as an independent, I don't know what I can do in that world. Uh, I've been thinking a little bit that maybe my place is starting to explain the math behind machine learning and the ideas behind it, and maybe there'll be a book in that, or maybe I'll write my calculus or stats book that I've always talked about. Right. Yeah, no, I, I actually have a fair number of your books, actually, and I've, I've dug into a few of them. Um, thank you for the quick, Swift Quick Start and the Swift UI Quick Start. Those were good good handy things to get going. I mean, we can't all rely thank on Paul so Hudson to, to, to solve all these problems for us. I've been in this world for a while writing these books, and all of a sudden I looked on the Apple Bookstore, and there's like 20 books from Paul Hudson. And I thought, who's he? <laughs> and we got to be friends and got to know each other. But you know, he came out of uh, he came out of the Linux world. He came out of a different world, mm -hmm. and just he's someone you should ask how he saw it because he saw this coming and guessed right and got in there full steam. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm actually good friends with Paul, but the, uh, the yeah, because I've interviewed him years and years ago, and as he was just getting started, because, I mean, he came out of um, where I, the world I came from, which was publishing, right? And uh, he had an interesting, I listened to a, an interview we did with him, Tammy Corn and I, back in a few years ago, because um, I often wonder, like, how does he, how does he, like, how does he write these, you know, Apple rolls out a state of the union for example right and he'll be right there the next day you know having you know not no signs of red eye and not sleeping or whatever but he's always got this way of, of getting down to it and and uh, so i listened to one of his interviews and we i asked him that question like how do you get something out so quickly and he said it was something he learned from one of his fellow writers at uh, at the magazine and the, the example he gave was you you take suppose you have to write an, a review of, of bottles of water right so you're given 10 bottles of water he says what i what i do right away is i just pick three bottles right and those are the ones i'm going to focus on i choose one is going to be the winner and the other two are going to be the, the also rands i write you know 250 words on the two and then i write 500 words on the one and that's my top three bottles of water article and when you think about it when you break it down that way you know it, it makes a lot of sense and and i you know you can if you 
once you know the sort of the secret path, you can sort of see some of the uh, some of the the background behind what he writes. And when I was writing for Ray Warner, like I would do the same thing. I would I would do the top ten, um, you know, WWDC videos, for example. But I would watch thirty of them. But I would also get the team to tell me which are the ones to watch. Right. So it's all again. It's just. Yeah, I like, always I, think that the Ray. And, and Paul and John Sundell and the OPCIO guys, they all have a, a very specific purpose in the books they write. And I think I do too. I think there's room for all of us. And there's some people that will like ones over another. And there's some that will say, well, I benefited by reading more than one. And so I don't think any of us are, are following the same path. And, and so I think part of it's just knowing the path that you're on. And hundred percent true. I mean, like, like, um, there's a gentleman, I just started watching his videos. Um, let me just jump over to here for a sec. Is it Stuart Lynch? Stuart yeah, Stuart Lynch. Yeah, Stuart Lynch. Yeah. His, He's been I mean, doing outstanding work. Yeah. He just did a brilliant one on like one of the, one of the, I mean, I have, I know I have a few blocks in, in one of mine is setting the delegate. That's the thing I always forget to do. Right. But, um, but for me, the trailing closure syntax kind of, I get it, but it, I don't get it. Right. But I watched his video on, on trailing closer syntax the other day, and it, and it was just so enlightening in terms of like now I now I you know I look at the stuff that I see in video uh, video tutorials, and I would know it. I know I know what they're doing because he took the time to go through each sort of piece of it and break it down. And I know you do that in your in some of your video lessons as well. I, I really enjoy that. I got to say that because I definitely think that you know you can't really go to one book, you can't go to one video. Um, cause you may say something to me in like, not directly, but in one of your, your talks w where the light will go on, on that one particular thing I'm stuck on. Right. Cause like you said, it's trying to get your head around, wrapped around an idea or a concept. Right. And there's some things I've found where the light goes on and then it goes off again and it comes and goes. And, and it may be something that someone else says that makes it come on and stay on. Yeah, well, I, I take notes when I when I watch videos and things like that. But yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and I mean, I've been doing. I, people are going to be bored by me saying this again, but I've been doing a lot of talk, a lot of work on uh, neuroplasticity and how the brain learns, right? And it learns in small chunks, right? Um, and but it's 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 like you know, it's the old joke about how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, 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 right? Um, that I think that's kind of how you cement these concepts is you have to keep trying. I mean, if you're doing it every day, like, you know, like, like I did objective C so much that I can to this day initialize and allocate like, like it's nobody's business. Right. <laughs> you know, but, but there are things in Swift that I'm still, still struggling with. And I, I don't know what they're, they're blocks. So I, I have people for those kind of things. Right. I had coffee with a friend the other day and I taught calculus for 20 years, but I haven't done it in 10. And I'm sure I couldn't just get out of bed and, and solve problems. I'd have to think about it again. So even these things that I knew deeply at one time, it's a muscle we're not using. Well, yeah, even, uh, and I don't think it has anything to do with age because I, I do know that when, like I did an art, I took an art path in, in, uh, in university. I was supposed to go to engineering, but I changed my mind at the last minute. I was good at math and science. You know, I'm still good at physics, chemistry, stuff like that. But like I had to do, oh, I decided, you know, third year or whatever. Oh, I need to fill an elective. So I'll, I'll take a math course. I'll do the intro, you know, 200 level math course. But before I got into the class, I had to take a test and I just like, the foil and all that kind of i just looked what <laughs> and all i just you just if you don't use it you do lose it right so which is really some of it's it's artificial i worked with this kid he's a high school kid and he wasn't getting enough in school so his parents when i was in grad school a lot of parents would bring me in to do like this kid was doing algebraic topology graduate level mathematics and he switched schools and they wouldn't let him into the algebra 2 class because he didn't remember how to factor polynomials. And I thought, right. this kid is so far beyond that. Why do you care? But rules. Crazy, craziness. So um, I, I guess the question I have for you, actually is uh, we know that, you know, obviously WWDC is coming up. We just got announced. You know, everybody's got their hat in the ring. Um, the big rumor uh, that I had been hearing about was, was some sort of AR, VR headset. Um, I'm... I'm taking the skeptical point of view. I don't, I don't see a need for me with that. Um, I may be wrong. I may be navigating sidewalks in the future with an, you know, an overlay, but who knows? What do you, what do you think is going to be coming? Um, I, I think, I think I did see you something, you and I may have had an exchange on Twitter about the fact that Apple will probably spend all of their time at WWC talking about this, this new gizmo that we're going to get. 
What do you think? What's, well, what's my your hope is they ball? don't, because that doesn't, <laughs> I mean, even if it releases, even if it's wonderful, like you, it's not for me. It's not something that, that calls out to me. And it's not just, I don't see it yet. It just, and there's enough things that I want them to work on that I hope that this doesn't do everything. Now, something very cool about Apple is often problems they solve for one platform help us in other platforms. And so I don't know if you remember Steve on stage showing animation and everything, and he was fascinated by the the genie effect growing from the dock and shrinking. And what we didn't know is he was looking at the iPhone they were building. He understood that that's where Ah. animation would be deep and important. And so often Apple introduces something on one device that we're going to see important on another device so that's the it's sort of the astronauts gave us tang that type of argument that's that's what i if we get goggles the goggles don't interest me it's just the what else do we get for our other platforms because we have that does that make sense yeah for sure no no 100 i mean like you're right I, I've, I've been around apple long enough to know that that i've seen some really cool things that never see the light of day in betas and things like that but which are disappointing but um yeah, you're right. I do see. And I think that like, like the, the watch, for example, like when the watch came out, we were all anticipating the watch was going to be this great, you know, thing. And the performance was so poor and the applications were so underpowered. You know, you're relying on the device, your your phone in your pocket to do most of the the heavy lifting. Um, and it wasn't until sort of fitness you know, and, and I always joke that Apple leads from behind, but, you know, because Fitbit and all that kind of stuff was out there at the time. Um, now the watch is a fitness thing. And for me, what my watch is, is a heads up display for what's going on in my phone. Do I need to pay attention to this? No. Okay. I can dismiss that or I can pay for things with my watch or I can open my front door with my watch, you know, those kind of things that, you know, nobody could anticipate that six years ago or whenever the the watch came out. Right. Actually, that was of all the things that we were doing to sell the phone or sell the watch. That was the thing that Tim said that convinced me was that you would it was either Tim or Craig said you would take your phone out of your pocket less because you'd be able to look at a notification or something. And so even at that level, the watch has been, I think, a winner for me. Add the health benefits, like I sleep with mine now and I wake up and I can see how good a sleep I had or or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's the fitness things that are really paying off for me. I don't know that Apple was ready with the fitness stuff or saw the fitness stuff initially, but that's really what the watch has become. Yeah, for me, well, for me, the, the, I mean, I got the initial watch when it first came out, and I think about the Series 3 because, uh, I forget why I bought that one, but I went to the, I think the 4 when they added the EKG in because of our advanced age, we need to know these things, we need to have that kind of awareness. (laughs) (laughs) And now for me, the, the, I have the Ultra because, just because there's one button on the side where I can tap it and start a workout, right? So I'm out walking, I, I don't run, I walk the dog, that's the kind of, you know, exercise we do at our age, but. Um, you know, just the fact that I can just very quickly get, get a workout going without having to deal with the screen and the digital crown and all that, I know, get out of my trees. I I bought my most recent watch uh, so I could give my old watch to my mom. My mom's going to be 90 this year. I got it for two years ago because of fall detection. Right. I wanted her to have that. I had a, um, accident on a bicycle where i came off my bike and my watch was tapping me saying you've got a minute to tell me you're okay and i thought that's great that if i'd been passed out it would have called for help that, that that's big for me it's funny you know in, in chicago last year it was so hot um i actually did pass out but i didn't have the fall detection turned on on my watch because i'm too cool for that right <laughs> but can you imagine <laughs> if, I, if i had it would have been thankfully i was around a, a bunch of uh, colleagues and they were able to to deal with that but yeah it was a it was a real shocker just how quickly that happens, right? But it's, you know, my, uh, I think that you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time is that, you know, for seniors, right? We need to get to a world where um, they're not getting scammed on the phones we've got and we get to a passwordless society. Cause I mean, how can you, like, I think that's a challenge for a lot of people older than you and I is how do you navigate d- the digital world these days? And everything's moving that, that way, right? interesting stuff and a lot of the things that we get look real like it's i can imagine being fooled by these so i do worry about older people and we keep making references to age this is a big year for me i turn over from being all ones to being a one and a lot of zeros in in my binary age so really you'll have to explain the math to me there (laughs) well 64 is two to the six right now i'm all ones oh okay 
Yeah, that's that's for me next year, actually. I guess you're a year older than me, I guess. <laughs> this is my my sister just turned 64, so I sent her a little clip of me singing when I get older. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to go back to the, the talk I saw you do in Paris, and I'll put a link in the show notes here, where you, I, I think one of the challenges with SwiftUI, at least for me, and I know a lot of people, uh, is the preview, right? The canvas mode, you know, the preview. I think for the longest time, the, I think Xcode was so slow, and would before we had, had the M1s, people would just turn off the canvas view because it was just too much uh, to deal with. But one of the challenges that I had, and, and it was interesting that your talk and, and a few other talks I've seen recently talked about. I think you said you own the preview. Uh, what I think was the takeaway for me that uh, well, this is the Amsterdam talk. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and and just to you know, give you the lead into that, it was that the challenge is when you make changes in your in your code. Uh, all of a sudden you break your preview, right? And and I think I think you said in the talk that it's unfortunate that we're dependent on the preview working, but at the end of the day, that's my, I own it, so I can decide how it, how it, uh, how it renders what I want to render, right? That said, it really bothers me that when you break the preview, your app doesn't build. I don't think the preview should keep my app from building and running on a simulator. That, that that feels wrong to me. And that's what causes a lot of people to comment out the preview is, I'm trying to get work done here. And you, and this thing that I don't even care about is, it's supposed to be there to help me. And so if I have failing unit tests, that doesn't mean my app isn't building and running. It just means these tests are failing. I feel a preview should be like a unit test kind of thing for me. And so, yes, we own the preview, but I've got a lot of sympathy for people that say, oh my gosh, this should not be getting in my way. Yeah, no, you're 100% agree. I 100% agree with that for sure. The thing I try to do in my book is try to break it down into the pieces that made sense to me as, as individual things that I understand. And so the syntax of it, it was a big light bulb moment for me when I realized that Apple had emulated what they did with errors when they did that with, with uh, the syntax for async await. And so if you think of async await as mirroring what we have already with froze and, and try. Right. And yeah the do try catch in the task and you start to understand tasks all of a sudden you've got the syntax down and one of my worries is actually the syntax is beautiful but it might be too nice because it's easy to read past a lot of complexity that's happening and so every time i see an await i i want it to call to me i want it to say hey there's a possible suspension point here because i remember the days when i was in java they introduced all the concurrency stuff there and the guy that that uh, led that charge was Doug Lee. And Doug Lee is one of the smartest people on the planet. And he said, what's going to happen is those of you trying to do the right thing with concurrency are going to actually probably make your apps worse. And so what I like about async await is for the most part, it keeps us from doing that. And I know they told us that with Grand Central Dispatch, but this time they mean it. Yeah, I think last year when, when I think when, or two years ago, I guess, when async await, when did it come up? Was last? It was two years ago, right? That async first showed mm -hmm. up. So I I called it. Um, it, it was basically like uh, automatic reference counting for concurrency. Would you agree with that? Like in terms of making it simpler to get your head around. Uh, yes, and and I thought when Apple introduced Arc, that changed our lives. Yeah, and it wasn't until years later that that you know we talked about how one thing is invented for one situation. Like Arc was kind of invented for Swift, but we got it in Objective C. Right. And so really. these things that are invented for one world that we benefit. Do you remember how messy it was to write arrays in Objective C before mm -hmm. they were working on Swift? And dictionaries too, yeah. <laughs> and dictionaries. The the syntax was awful. Yeah. And ended with a nil. Right, yeah, exactly. And then and but and then they came up with the literals, right? To that would ha would deal with half of the types of arrays you'd want to write. And very few. You know, like every other grown up language. Yeah. 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 Well. I don't, know, I don't know that I have enough experience to talk about the grown-up languages, but cool. The, um, I saw an interview right right before he died uh, with Carl Hewitt, and Carl Hewitt is the one that invented the actor model. And he did, there's a great um, interview people can look for with Eric Meyer, M-E-I-J-E-R, the guy that wears the loud Hawaiian shirts and uh, talks about functional programming. Uh, Hewitt spent some time with Apple talking about the actor model. So Apple's actor world is not the same as what Hewitt was talking about, but you can see the influences. And if you take what's going on with async, await, and tasks, and all the other stuff, it, it you can see the influences. So an, a Swift actor is not the same as Hewitt's actors, but the worlds are compatible. And so I, I would recommend that video. So how, do, how does an actor 
compared to say like a thread like you you've got your your various like in your gcd you've got your main queue and your other you can have any kind of you can create your own threaded queue give it a name how does apple's actor because the main actor obviously is the main thread right or the equivalent of how does how does the actor it's it's, it's hard because we say that sort of casually uh, the same way we say the main queue is is the main thread so I don't know if you remember when GCD was introduced, which I think was 10 years ago, uh, the idea was stop writing directly to threads. You create these things and the queues will handle which thread is running what. You'll put things onto these queues and they'll distribute it. And what we've got with tasks as the unit of work is we're not directly saying who's going to do what, but we're setting up these tasks that when they're interrupted, when they have to stop and pause and let work be done by someone else so they can move forward, the task is stored away on the heap along with the stuff it needs to resume. And so there's a great dub-dub talk behind the scenes with with the actors and threads and, and swift concurrency that I highly recommend from 2021. Like, they did a tremendous job, but each talk necessarily only covers a bit of it and they don't really overlap and so it's sort of like wherever you get in it references something else and so just go around a couple times until you get a a handle on it yeah yeah definitely well again that's another reason why i consume videos and read books and because i i like i said i've in my experience i found actually and also by doing i find that that all of those things kind of form the the, the synapses in my brain i need to basically get the work done right <laughs> cool like where i'm tripping right now is on some of the advances in generics and i'm not up to speed with those and i, I don't know if you've been reading about the um the ownership model with the the non-copyable value types I don't have my head around when I would use those. So this it's kind of exciting that there's so many things to learn. I, yeah. I think it's kind of cool. Yeah, why? Well, and again, like you know, for for two coders who are in their sixties, coming at it from different per, per, different different worlds, um, I can tell the young kids watching this show or listening to the show that that don't worry, there's going to be lots to learn because I mean, I started learning this stuff in my fifties and this, I mean, this specific stuff, but. Um, you know, but I, but I did have computers in my twenties. Actually, I wanted to ask you that too. Um, when did you, when did you sort of first get into computing and, and I mean, you were a mathematician initially, but when did you get into, like, when did you get your first Mac and when did, when did the sort of lights go on and with you? So I, um, in high school took a computer class where we programmed on, there was a single machine, a Xerox Sigma nine that was the college and we used a teletype machine from our high school, and we, we connected a telephone, the old type that you would, you know, couple it in. and Were you using and punch cards at the time? Or? We used paper tape. Paper tape, okay. And so if we wanted to store a program, it would punch in a paper tape, and we would run that through again. And um, so that was my, my first computer experience. I didn't take anything in college. And then when I taught high school, I was a, um, a student teacher, and... My mentor was brilliant, and he had this idea. He said, I want you to teach a class where you're not the smartest person in the room. And so he had me teach some computer where I didn't know more than a lot of the students. And so that was a great experience. And then we used computers sort of to illustrate things. So we had like an Atari where you would save programs to a cassette tape, a headless cassette tape. And you'd wheel in a big television that would would show on the monitor. So those were the early days. And then, do you remember Guy Kawasaki? Yes, definitely. Huge fan. So he yeah. was the original tech evangelist. He, he invented the term evangelism. And uh, I was I was teaching at my first university, and it was a Windows school. And I wrote him a, a letter, and I said, there's Windows everywhere, man. Can't you help me? And he <laughs> let me use his employee discount. Turns out he let everybody use his employee oh, discount. Really? They just wanted to sell Macs. And I got a Mac 2VX, and that was my, my first Mac. 2VX. Okay. All right. I guess I predate you. I started with a two CX. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I think I was. I think same, it was the same family. Yeah, I was selling. Uh, I think I was selling Macs when when the two VI and the two VX came out. That was. I think that lasted on the market for eight months or something ridiculously short. It wasn't long, but it lasted in my in my house for a long time and enough for me to go from you know drives to zip drives to you know the storage medium changed over the time I had it. Yeah, well, I've been around so long. This this is my wife's actual SE30. I put it in a clear case since, but that's the Mac she started on. Oh, that's cool. 
So I have this interesting part of the show where, where I like to ask some questions. I mean, people can go find you on videos. They can read your books. They can attend your talks. But this is a bit more um, off the cuff, um, a set of questions. Sure. So if you're seated comfortably, we can we can just dive right in. Sure. Okay. So the first one is, what is your motto? Be kind. Be kind. Okay. Cool. Uh, did you know Jim Wyrick? No. So Jim Wyrick was an agile guy. And... Um, I included him in a keynote I gave, and I don't know if you want your short questions to lead into long stories. You can, not, it's, can just, it's completely off the cuff. Yep. Uh, Jim was just the, the sweetest and, and just a brilliant guy. And he was part of Agile and Agile has all these rules about favor this over that. And I just found if you favored people over process, if you were just kind, it pretty much took care of all the other rules. Everything else just, just fell out of that. So. Oh, all right. Um, what's the best sandwich? Wow. One made with fresh bread that I've made that day. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I know Anyone. you've been talking about doing sourdough baking for the last few years, but... Oh, oh I've been baking bread forever, so I, I finally wrote a book about it. Um, okay. Uh, what goes on it? I love a good, like, a roast beef sub, but almost any sandwich. What what could be wrong with a sandwich? <laughs> I saw last night a rerun of a British show where they gave the vegan, they gave everybody sandwiches, and they gave the vegan guy a toast sandwich, and it was two pieces of bread with the filling was a toasted piece of bread. Oh, really? And he said it was delicious. He first thought they were trolling him, but he said it was really good. Interesting. Cool. Uh, flat or sparkling? I drink tap water all day long, but if I'm going out, it's probably sparkling. Okay, cool. Um, Actually, let me amend that and say which, whichever one is free. I'm really cheap when it comes to that. <laughs> All right. Uh, who's your favorite hero of fiction? Wow. Should I have prepped for this and watched no, your questions? There's no way you can prep for this. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm stuck. We can come I'm back stuck. to it. <laughs> I throw TV at you, books, movies, comic books. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a real softy when it comes to stories. And so um, in, until... Recently, I didn't cry much at real life, but real easy touch for a movie. Uh, so that's that's a, that's a hard one. I've got this. I'm overwhelmed with how many I like that I can't think of one to tell you. I'm sorry. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Um, what's your favorite word? I'm an awful interview, aren't I? No. <laughs> uh, it just sounds sad to say it, but but yes, when I can say it. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes. And um, more important is knowing when to say no, I guess. But yeah, I love saying that. yes. I say yes way too much. And then I, I get angry at myself. I'm way overcommitted. I'm doing too much that's, that's not good for me and it's not good for them. Yeah. As an entrepreneur, I, had to, I went to a course to learn how to say no to people because I was just saying yes to everything. And then you have no time. You have no time. And my daughters had to say to me, we, we have a, a house in Rhode Island that for historical reasons. And every once in a while, my, my daughter has to say, She's your tenant, not your friend. You have to say no once in a while. Right, right. What's the one thing you own that you should really throw out? I have so many books that I should give away, not throw out, but I have so many books. Um, when we moved into to this house, we said any box that we didn't open the whole time we lived in the last house, we should just throw out, and we didn't. And now those boxes still are unopened downstairs, and they're... They're books and papers that I'm sure I should get rid of. Okay. What's the scariest animal? Well, people. <laughs> That's the correct answer. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Teaching. I love teaching. And every once in a while, somebody will come back and tell me that some interaction we had changed some part of their life in, in an important way. And that, what could be better than that? Yeah, I agree. I guess being a dad, but that's the same thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Who are your heroes in real life? There was a guy named Booker Peak who, who when, I, when I was in college, I started teaching in the Upward Bound program. And the Upward Bound program, for people that don't know it, was a program designed uh, in particular for, for people that were poor or the first generation in their, their family to go to college or both. And it was an academic summer program. And uh, Booker Peak uh, really just took me in and let me understand what teaching was about, what people were about in, in a way that was just so deep. And I, I just can't 
express how, how much he changed my life. Cool. Yeah, it's always good to have one. What's the most used app on your phone? There is an app for that, by the mail. way. Mail. Mail. <laughs> Spend a lot of time in I, mail. I, I just, I'm checking it all the time. As an independent, I'm just checking it all the time. Uh, right, and I shouldn't. Yeah. Fortunately, not Facebook or Twitter. I've been I've been shut out of Facebook since I uh, since January and and Twitter the same time. So I guess tw- Facebook was October, Twitter was January when they changed the API. Uh, so n- neither of those. And so you, you left voluntarily, back. or you're not using them at all, or Facebook sent me a note in October saying we noticed you accessed our site from another browser, and I thought, no, I didn't. It's always the same machine. And then I thought. I guess it's okay that they've locked me out and I've stayed locked out. Really? And Twitter, when they cut off the APIs for TweetBot and, and third-party apps, I thought, that's it. I'm done. Really? Okay, cool. Have you ever asked anyone for their autograph? No. And I know it's not politically correct to to mention it. It's because of someone who said he would rather someone ask that they shake his hand than sign an autograph, because an autograph is to show someone else or sell, but a handshake is is personal. On the other hand, I've signed plenty of autographs. When I worked in radio, people were always asking, and, and I was happy. So I, I'm not, if, if it's important to you, I'll do it, but I just have never asked anyone. Yeah, I always want to get, if I have a book by you, I'll get you to sign it. I was like to, I like to have the author, you know, acknowledges. I'm mean, happy to do that. Yeah. Uh, it's funny I, that you say that because I met Matt Smith, who's one of the doctors who, um, and, uh, he signed, I, he, he was the only person, nobody was at the booth. So I went and ran across the, the aisle, bought a photo and went over and got his autograph and, and said, because he, at the time he was my favorite doctor. And, and I asked if I could shake his hand. He said, no, but you can give me a fist bump. And that was, was before the pandemic, which was kind of like, you know, prescient, but I'm surprised that he wouldn't shake my hand. Hmm. But that that happens. I, I, I've asked a few people for autographs and, and gotten that response. I worked in, in urban radio. Yeah. And and my on-air name was, was Fudge. I <laughs> won't explain that right now. Uh, and so people come up and ask me to sign that as my autograph, and that always oh, yeah. cracked me up. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, what kind of radio were you doing at the time? It, it was urban radio at the time. So I, I'd worked... I've worked in, in rock and progressive and smooth jazz in adult contemporary stations. So I, I worked at a, a variety of stations. Was this like in Cleveland kind of area or? I started in Rhode Island and then came to Cleveland and worked here. Cool. And so, but that was like, you were a broadcast guy. That was your, your stick. Like, how did you yeah, get into I put that? myself through grad school working on, on air. Oh, um, really? Okay. Nice. And so. I, I did the nighttime show for the smooth jazz station, and I, I was liked it. it was like putting Cleveland to bed every night. It was kind of fun. I use uh, Logic Pro and Final, Final Cut Pro, and, and I liked it when it had the little razor blade icon, because that's how I used to edit tape as well, right, back in the day, the little right. aluminum block and all that stuff. So, And, and in the, in the uh, before we got four tracks, we'd have in the air studio, you know, you'd, you'd have little tape pieces. You have to remember which one is which and which yeah. side is up. Well, there's a, there's a mixer down there on the floor that I use for my band, and you can see if you if we were close enough, you'd see the piece of tape on the bottom, which has got the names of each person, so I, I knew whose volume I was adjusting as I was doing stuff. So, yeah. So I come at it from an analog point of view, like that kind of, you know, you and I are, are I think we're a year apart in terms of age, so I think that, you know, we both come from the, the dawn of standing in the kitchen to use the phone and... <laughs> Going to the bank yep. before three o'clock and all that kind of stuff, right? Writing paper checks. Well, and, to and early early recordings in radio, we used to have to unscrew the phone and a- put the alligator clips on so we could pull and, and put tape feeds through. Oh, really? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere, somewhere here, my wife and I were we moved back from Vancouver at one point, and and uh, we they didn't have a place for us to plug our modem in, and so I had to go and buy an acoustic coupler and connected to the phone so i could this is like in the 90s like wasn't like that long ago right so yeah i've been, been that was there, my done wife's that. least favorite sound in the world was the sound of the handshaking modem oh yeah 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 for sure yeah and and as it, i think it, it changed tone based on on as we got closer to like 56k it, it, the, the little yeah. little song it sang changed right as it negotiated mm-hmm. the connection yeah no, I mean it's funny. I don't have to explain uh, the old metaphors to you like like I would with most most of the young kids that I talk to these days, right? <laughs> well, I wonder because I'm I'm working on a radio app, and I don't know that they'll understand what top forty radio was like. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So what's what's the app you're working on? What what's it about? 
So uh, did you ever work in, in music radio? Uh, not directly, but I, 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 I built an app for a radio personality here in, in Canada. And so I've worked, I've worked actually in broadcast, but I've been around the, those folks and I've, you know, worked with. So, so there would be different categories of songs. And as new songs were added and as, as songs started coming down, your songs would rotate at different rates. And so your, your power songs would rotate maybe every hour and a half. Oh, really? Okay. And then your next category every two hours. And so that's my app. It takes Apple playlists and turns them into radio stations so your favorite songs rotate more often. Okay. And then you, you get tired of these, you press a button and changes rotation based on your likes and your your dislikes. But don't you think that Apple Music and Spotify are supposed to be doing that now when when you build the the Tim radio station that I see when I go in there? It's a very so if you like what they give you then my app isn't for you and my app <laughs> probably isn't for many people. Yeah. Uh, there you can either get a playlist that repeats or a playlist that shuffles and repeats. This is a very specific way of repeating where in a, in a group of 40 songs, your top 10 will repeat at one and another and another, and every hour will be different. You'll never okay, get the cool. same hour. And will I, will we be able to like go in and say, yes, I like that, that uh, I want to hear that one more often, less often, that kind of thing, or. And so that, so that the next time you update, those will move up and the others will move down. So, I, I, I've read some of your tweets, and I don't want to use the, the bad word, which begins with chat and ends with GPT, but um, do you, like, are you going to use some sort of machine learning or some sort of algorithm to sort of manage this? Well, you can use an algorithm without it being machine learning. Right. Yeah, okay. And, and so the algorithm that, that I've coded in is based on the user's preferences, whether a song is moving up or down, because... If a song has been around for a while and you like it, but you know you're getting a little tired of it, it'll probably move down a little bit in frequency, and so it's it's a lot of that. So will there be like there'll be like an interface where I can sort of say enough of this one, for example, or yeah, yeah, okay, cool. And and at some point, um, depending if more than three of my friends want this app, uh, there'll <laughs> be a music director mode where you can go in and, and actually manually move things around. Oh, okay, cool. It's just an app that I thought would be fun, so I built it for me. Oh, I see. Yeah. Well, that's those are the best apps, right? Um, the uh, mm -hmm. I, I wonder if we need a mixtape app, like you know, back in the day, like you know, you and I would would want to please our friends by putting, you know, getting our our turntables out and and cutting, you know, and I mean, I used to do that. I don't know about you, but I used to do that. Like you, you painstakingly. Well, you worked in radio, so you know what I'm talking about. But painstakingly trying, you know, drop the needle at the right instant to get the the song to start, you know, without too much of a gap in there, right? So there is a mixtape app. There, there are a bunch of really clever apps. There's one which plays album sides, and there's an animation of a record spinning, and the right. different tracks are, are the different lengths of the song. So people are doing interesting things in this space. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a GIF where I was going to use it for one of my audio ver or visual versions of one of our uh, when we didn't actually have recorded video for the podcast and have the needle. You know, little gif with the, with the record turning, and it looked like the needle, but the needle didn't move, right? Because obviously it was a gif, right? Mm. So how did, like, I know you talked a little bit about the algorithm behind music, but like, how did you, did you have like a, a list of songs that you were expected to play? Or like, how did you decide what was going, what would go into the rotation? So in the early days, we had a lot of freedom. By the time I was working at top stations in Cleveland, the computer picked them. We had no choice. Uh, I worked at one station where we had all request weekends. And so we would take phone calls and people would play their requests. And I had to learn that the dirty secret was we didn't play requests. People call up and say, <laughs> I, I want to hear this. And you go, okay, can't play that. But do you want me to record you asking for this? It's coming up in five minutes. And they would always say yes. Oh, really? Okay, cool. <laughs> I want to hear this. You'd say, no, you, you don't. You just wanted your voice on the radio. So what were the call letters? That was WMJI. Cleveland's so Magic. You, can, you, can you do the, the, the stinger? You're listening to uh, WMJI. It was WMJI Cleveland's Magic 105.7. Cool. All right. Once an hour. Nice. Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, or Babylon 5? So this is this is the part where you lose viewers because I'm not a sci-fi guy. And, okay. uh, you know, I, I watch them. I don't get them a lot of the time. Uh, people are very disappointed. They they tell me to read the latest this book or that book. <laughs> uh, and, and I... I try. I just feel I'm just not getting something. Uh, we 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 watch the Next Generation a lot because that mm -hmm. was sort of the time when that came out. And how do you not like Patrick Stewart? 
Uh, so I don't know if that counts, but that sort of steers me to the Star Trek pantheon. Star Wars, I was working in a, in a movie theater as a projectionist, and when that came out, I saw it twice a night, every night for four weeks. So Yeah, I can imagine that. I, be... I will tell you, and this is, this is how you know I'm not a sci-fi guy, that's the only one I've ever seen. I've never seen the second or the third or the ninth when they started counting backwards. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so... So when you turn on the TV and you and I assume you have the Netflix and the Hulu and the you know the HBO Max whatever what is the show that you watch what do you, what do you, what gets you I li- you... I like uh, this is so sad I watch a lot of British panel shows mm-hmm. oh yeah and I, love I watch those. a lot of I watch a lot of British mysteries so you know the would I lie to use and and the British panel shows I just love and it's the same people. Uh, Stephen Fry's QI is now Sandy Toxvig's QI, and I listen to a podcast with their researchers every week. And so those mm-hmm. are the type of shows that I, I gravitate towards. And then the same, the mysteries, the back to pie in the sky and the Hercule Poirot's up to, you know, uh, murder in Provence and, and death in paradise. So <laughs> I'm very shallow in, in my views. That's a good, it's a good, good answer. I got, got something out of you. I can use. <laughs> no, I love, I love those shows. Like I, I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not fighting you really. No, no, no. The great, the Graham Norton show. I like that. I mean, I, my, I was born in Britain, so I have a sort of affinity for it, but, but yeah, the, the one where they, the, the one I don't understand that the comedians are hilarious on it where they give them a number and they have to figure out the math to get to that number. Have you seen that one? Oh, I love that show. What's so it called? Something. The original something? show, the original show is countdown. Right. There's a show called Eight Out of Ten Cats. That's the one. And this is yeah. the Eight Out of Ten Cats does countdown. And so it's the cast from Eight Out of Ten Cats doing the countdown show. So countdown is a very serious show that they do in Britain every day. And mm-hmm. the Eight Out of Ten Cats, they take it over and they're hysterical. Yeah, yeah. No. And, uh, I don't know if you know the the radio show Just a Minute, but that's what we used for when we did CocoConf. We would do a game show the second day, and it was based on just a minute where you have to speak on a topic for a minute without repeating yourself, pausing, or deviating. Oh, and nice. if someone calls you out, then they have to pick up the topic. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, that's... I, I went to Toastmasters, and they had these, these lightning talks. Like you, They had a book, course book you would go through and, and learn how to give long talks but but when i started listening to the, myself on the podcast and i was going um uh um uh, uh um constantly um i decided i better go figure out how to do this talking thing and um the i like the little five minute lightning talks that we used to have to do just you know like give you a topic and off you go right so when i was in radio they gave us a trick for that which was you can easily replace things and so if you can replace your ums with ands then you'll be able to eliminate the ands. But step one was every time you go to say um, just say and. and oh, really? Then step step two is get rid of those. Cool, cool. I'll have to remember that one. Um, can you describe the rest of your life in five words? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm terrified of death. And so that's that's a big part of, of what makes this question so, so very hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so five words. Learning, cooking, people, joy coffee <laughs> okay cool yeah there's there's one question I, I tend not to ask people is what do you think happens when we die but i'll i'll let you decide if you want to answer that one or not well it's interesting because when my wife and i were getting ready to get married uh she's catholic uh and i was raised jewish and so we went to see a priest we went to see a rabbi and the first thing the rabbi asked each of us was what happens when you die and i said I don't know. And he said, good, that's kind of our party line. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Speaking of British, uh, uh, Professor Brian Cox is one of one of the people I go and see when he talk when he comes here. And, and he, on one of his podcasts, he, he uh, explained the physicist's view of death, which I thought was really cool. You know, the whole conservation of maths, so you don't really go anywhere. You just become part of the universe again. And, you know, and you can, you know, all the sort of light particles bouncing off your retinas that represented, you know, um, yourself will eventually, will still be in my memory, right? Even though those, you know, those electrons or whatever are, are no longer flying around anymore, right? It's really interesting. interesting I, I think what terrifies me is, is my mathematics background, is that mm-hmm. I have a deep concept of the infinite, right. and there being infinitely much time after we're done here is part of what I think terrifies me. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like you, that, there, there. This what we have right now is as it is 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 a very small amount of time in the grand scheme of things. In fact, he was talking last time I saw him talk here in Toronto about um, how you know the that there are infinite numbers of infinities or there are infinite infinities like it just goes on and on and on it just never there's no you know you can't imagine far enough <laughs> you know to imagine what infinity is and and the fact that you know this this earth that we live on you know in 10 million years or whatever it is is going to get uh consumed by the sun as it as it grows right and and fizzle out and ends but i mean so that's that isn't when you think about where we are today and where we want to be you know, you and I are not going to live to see that, and neither are right. our great great grandchildren, right? But at some point, this will end. You know, like, right. but and that's why I, one of the reasons I like sci- sci-fi is when they imagine people leaving the Earth and going and inhabiting other places, and and then it all ends up being, like you said before, the scariest animal in those planets is humans, right? <laughs> that's right. I, yeah, is Brian Cox the one that does the Infinite Monkey Cage? Yes, that's one of my favorite podcasts with, with Robin. It's a Nitz. great yeah. podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have that one dialed up on my uh, my thing. I listen to that one all the time, and and it's great because they get they go on crazy topics. Like you know, they'll talk about. And there's another one called um, um, a couple of Brits, um, Rutherford and Fry, curious cases of Rutherford, Rutherford and Fry, which is why you know the name of your book was kind of interesting to me. And so they have, have their fans. That one. Their fans are called Curios, and so they. They do. They talk about similar in the same sense. They're both. He's. A, they're both physicists, I think, and they talk about um, various concepts. And they have you know people come on and talk about them, but they always take a, a question from the audience, kind of like a sort of a physics MythBusters, if you want to call it that. You know, um, it was a really interesting thing. Cool. Well, I think we're going to wrap up here today. So, um, and thank you for coming on the show. Uh, but I want to ask you to let our fans know how can they get in touch with you. And uh, I know you've just got your, your latest book out and anything else that they, they could visit you at. Are you going to do any talks, that kind of stuff? What, where, where are you going to be well, and how people you. get in touch with you? So I'm pretty much dim sum thinking everywhere. And so if I'm on a, a platform, that's what I'll tend to stake out. Uh, it's been a surprisingly, as you said, for people our age, it's been a surprisingly productive year for me. I've just launched a podcast, which is uh, the audio version of essays from my newsletter from three years ago. I'm sort of tracking those. Uh, I have a weekly newsletter. I've just started doing videos finally, and mm-hmm. I'm enjoying that. And I'm about to ship the Top Tracks app. And there's a couple conferences I'll be speaking at. Some have been announced, some have not. And I'm hoping that I get invited to a conference in your neighborhood. Well, there's there's one coming up in the summer, and, and I'll I'll put a good word in for you. <laughs> I mean, you've been here for Ennis North before as well, but uh, and I really enjoyed that. So great having you on the show. And, Thanks for coming. Thank you. And my name is Timitra, and I'm T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on all the things, Mastodon, Twitter, anything like that. Until next time, we'll see you in the future. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fireside.fm. There you can find a summary and show notes of each episode. We list links to the apps, code, and news that we mentioned on the show. If you like the podcast, tell your friends, leave a comment on the website, or write a review on iTunes. And please recommend us in your favorite podcatcher. All of these things help others find out about the show. We really appreciate your help with spreading the word. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you, so use the hashtag AskMTJC and we may mention you on the show. Friends of the show can also join us on the podcast Slack channel. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. Please consider supporting the show by pledging any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Every dollar pledged helps a lot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. show three weeks in a row that now i have to keep doing this until it's now been eight and a half years we're coming up on our ninth anniversary so <laughs> you know, i caught the I, number that's pretty pretty impressive
Yeah. Do you, well, I haven't done, we're, we're kind of like, I'm interviewing you today because, uh, since COVID we've, we took a break a bit. Oh, actually, no, I was working for a fruit company. And so podcasting mm -hmm. wasn't sort of something I could be sort of free with. And, uh, so we, we fell out of cadence on that. So we're actually recording tomorrow night because we're doing our pre WWDC show. And then of course we'll do one, um, during the week of WWC to talk about the stuff that got rolled out, whatever that is. Right. Well, I'm, I'm saying that the, I was a very early podcaster. I worked for O'Reilly Media, and I did a show for them a long, long time ago called Distributing the Future, and that was a lot of fun. We took pieces from their conferences and interviews with their speakers and their writers, and you know, we didn't do a ton of episodes, but it was early days, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Is that still around, or is that still being published? You I, know? I don't know. Uh, well, the show's not still around. It, it sort of died when i left there um i went on to do i was there doing java.net which was the java community site that o'reilly managed for sun mm -hmm. yeah i just uh, just to tell you, i will be in toronto for but they haven't announced the speakers yet I'll oh speakers for, okay toronto. cool yeah that's good so, to so know. yeah let's get together there i'll be coming in a day early let's do coffee yeah, I, have, or something. I have my ticket already so because i'm a, i'm I, I did I did the, the I wasn't officially the keynote, but I did the first talk at, at Swift CEO in 2019. So I, I I call it the keynote, even though it wasn't. <laughs> cool. Well, it'd be great to see you. I definitely will. We'll have to go and um, I don't know, do the beer and nachos thing or whatever it is people do these days. <laughs> I think Paul's in your town right now. Paul, yeah, I know. I saw I saw some uh, some stuff about him uh, at Niagara Falls actually with his with his daughter. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, we'll look forward to seeing you in the summer then. I'll be in Chicago, I don't know, sometime, but I'm uh, not sure when, but that's not quite in your neighborhood, but still. Well, but if you drive through here, I always say Cleveland's on the way to where you want to be. Is it? <laughs> you you well, don't want to be here, but you want to come through here on your way to wherever you're, you're going. Well, it's, yeah, it's good to get the, we, uh, we, in December, we got stuck, uh, three of us ended up, our flights got canceled and we, and we were debating, but we should have just got a car and rented, rented a car and driven home, but, cause it's not that far, you know, but I think we spent more time just sleeping in bad hotels, waiting for flights to be rebooked or whatever. Yeah. I think I'm five hours from you and six hours from Chicago. Are you like in between Chicago and, or Michigan and uh, Ohio? Where's Ohio? I have to get my map out. We're, we're pretty much due south of Detroit on the other side oh, of, okay, of the okay. lake. So it depends whether you take the northern route or the southern route. Right. To get to Chicago. Yeah, we would go south probably. Yeah. yeah. Cool. If you go through Buffalo, then you'll come through here. Nice. Cool. All right. We'll have to keep that in mind. All right. Nice. We'll grab, grab a coffee or uh, some sourdough sandwich or some type. <laughs> a sandwich of your choice. All right, sir. Thanks for coming Thank on the show. Too. My okay. pleasure. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.